this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, it's time for our second roundtable of 2016. We're uh, we're gonna tackle a genre of music, which we have we've done that before. We've and done some tackling. We've done some tackling, some blocking, blocking and some tackling. Yeah, yeah, catching and receiving, all that sort of important stuff. Since we're, uh, you know, this is actually airing. Uh, just after the Super Bowl, so congratulations to the winner of the Super Bowl, and uh, enjoy You're an incredible it. team. You're an incredible team. I, I still can't believe that play. I remember that one commercial? Yeah, that was hilarious. The other ones, good too. We're going to talk about emo, Jay. This is something that we've been leading up to. I mean, we've covered... Emo in a number of reviews. Uh, we recently did the Braid record. We've done uh, the uh, Texas is the Reason album, which uh, one of our guests tonight actually joined us for that particular episode. We've done uh, Jimmy Eat World. We've done uh, a bunch of uh, a few other ones. I'm not gonna say a bunch, but we've done a few other ones. But we haven't really talked uh, tackled the whole genre, and and co- to be completely honest, it confuses me. So I'm going to be playing the role of questioner to our guests because I don't have a lot to chime in on because I don't have a lot of knowledge that wasn't gained from Wikipedia. So I've brought on a panel of experts, uh, our own McLaughlin group you'll, uh, is, is what I'm terming it, uh, for this particular episode. So joining us, uh, a couple of guys you guys who uh who, who know their shit let's put it that way they know their shit starting down in texas the uh, host of the do you know who you are podcast uh blogger at theme park experience.blogspot.com and the writer of post to look at the influence of post hardcore 1985 to 2007 mr eric grubbs welcome eric thanks for having me guys always good to talk to y'all from the florida panhandle no it's not is that the panhandle it just sounds good. It, it sounds good. It sounds pain. <laughs> Host of the Rocket Fuel Podcast, writer at Punktastic, RocketFuelPodcast.com, Mr. Jeff Takis. Jeff, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. I will uh, preface all of my comments by saying I am not an expert on this subject. I'm just going to be faking it for the next hour. Well, welcome then. Like any other news network, so yes, we're fine. Exactly. That's right. Well, you're doing yeah. what Andy Greenwald did for his book. Yeah, I got to oh, throw it at Wow. Yep. Zing. Yep. And it's all about timing. It's all about timing. <laughs> Tom Mullen joins us also from what part of New York? Is it just New York? New York. New York, New York. Okay. The host of the Washed Up Emo podcast, which relevant to this show, uh, just recently in uh, early January, had on Garrett 
Klan. Is that how you say it? Klan? Yes. Of Texas is the reason. You can find them also at the website isthisbandemo.com where judgment can be brought down upon your band if it is emo or if it's not. I actually submitted one tonight. Which one? A uh, band called Tiara. Did I did I crack a joke already? No, you haven't. I haven't. Okay. I don't think you've seen it yet. Uh, they're a Columbus, Ohio band from about '95 to the mid 2000s. Okay, all right. Um, and uh, lots of comparisons to bands that we'll probably be talking to talking about tonight. And uh, they were actually they were never on like a huge label. I mean, mostly like you know regional labels, but they'd actually do some touring like in Japan and stuff. So they had some. Some popularity outside of our little city here, Columbus. That's rad. So I'll be curious what what the verdict is on TR. <laughs> well, it's a uh, it's a team effort of the emo council. That's right. Uh, the emo council meets uh, whenever there's a need, and uh, songs and bands are sent out. Uh, so uh, we'll hopefully, you'll we'll get back a ruling. Um, and now, in addition to the site and the, the, the two sites you mentioned, there's also the longest running New York City DJ night uh, for emo. Uh, is have uh, is uh, just celebrated our fifth anniversary, so that, wow. that that that's pretty fantastic, right? Five years of doing something, that is four years longer than any other. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're just if you're just wondering, um, and so that's also um, what it's I called. Spend my time do you know who you are, right? Is that so right? that's that's Brian's name uh, okay. for it. I love it. We put it on the flyers. It's emo night, New York City. Okay. Uh, that's but uh, yes. Do you know who you are? Which is also the Texas the Reason record. We've had. Mm-hmm. Uh, Norm DJ with us a few times. It's been fantastic. But yeah, super, super fun. There's my last plug. Yeah. Okay, so I got to get to our, our Patreon page real quick. We need to thank Eric J. Peterson, who just subscribed at our 250 level, which means he's going to be getting a uh, review starting in uh, 2017. He'll be one of our first people to get reviews in 2017. We also got some feedback on this episode, and I want to read it up front because I think that it will help us spur the discussion. Scott Russell Hallgram said, I have never been able to figure out what emo is. I can't hear a connection between bands that are emo. I can't figure out why it's loved, nor why it's hated. It's In large part, it's a big stumbling block for me. A large part, a big stumbling block for me is the name, emo. Short for emotional, because the music is emotional. But what music isn't emotional? As a high schooler during Grunge's Ascendance, I found it quite emotional. So, what makes emo so much more emotional than other kinds of music? So that's Scott's input. Gavin from Down Under, Gavin Reed says. So the first time I heard the term emo, it was attached at the drive-in. So I instantly was a huge, was a massive emo fan. Getting into Trail of Dead, Pretty Girls Make Graves, and Nation Blue. The next thing I knew. Dashboard Confessional was the flag bearer of emo, which was some kind of terrible sook rock that I hated. I don't know what sook rock is, but I'm apparently some sort of Australian slang. Um, then I read the book title forgot the book title Forgotten, which I don't. Oh, oh, okay, that's what he's saying. Then I read the book title Forgotten. Is what he's saying. He doesn't remember the title of the book, but which I enjoyed. Previously critiqued by a guest on your podcast that said that Weezer's Pinkerton was the embryo of emo. Oh Lord! Somehow oh, no. we always get back no. to Pinkerton, which made Jesus. this more sense. So in summary, early emo good, later emo very very bad. All right, there's where's the for the first guy, uh, Scotty. Scott. Where's his? Where's his? What's his reference? Was it his uh, crush that was into the 
uh, high school quarterback that liked, you know, dashboard, or was it was his reference something else? That's really hard to, to gauge. And then the second guy, I, we should probably have a we should probably have a meeting down there, uh, <laughs> down under, just to help. It seems like he's he's all over the place. So I am really excited for this episode. I, just, I, this I can't is, wait to write the ship. This why we're talking about this. I'd know? be all for a down. Ship. I'd be all for a meeting down because he lives on the Gold Coast, which apparently is quite beautiful. He like lives on the beach, so we could have like awesome. a beach podcast group podcast. I will. I will do that. Okay, we're gonna <laughs> schedule that. Gavin, you, you've been scheduled for yeah. email roundtable two. Who do we email Australian in HR edition. for this? Uh, who do we, who do we uh, let me let me talk to our booking uh, department and make sure we can get uh, flights at a reasonable price, and uh, we'll Fantastic. take care of that. You guys are always on top of it. All right, well, I can't we'll talk, wait. We'll talk to Connie and get this worked out. <laughs> Connie in HR. Yeah, she's always great. Um. <laughs> so well, I think we need to like unpack this a little bit. I think what okay. they're getting at and, and what, what exactly does the term emo mean where does it come from what where does it derive from uh let's get into that a little bit so i'm going to start okay. with uh, mr grubbs okay you wrote the Enjoy book it. about yeah. post hardcore which you know covers this so tell me where this comes from okay um the the short story is this in the mid 80s around 84 85 in washington dc the music scene, which had spawned so many legendary hardcore bands, including Minor Threat, uh, Government Issue, and I mean, just the list is long. You know, just check out Discord's back catalog to understand what I'm talking about. Around that time, things had things had really splintered in the hardcore scene, and hardcore was really a brand. It was an American version of the kind of punk rock ethos that had been formed in New York. And then when it went to London, it was very much a fashion and it was also a DIY sort of thing. But the way that hardcore really developed in the early 80s was very much also a do-it-yourself do sort of thing. And it, it went very fast. In, I mean, we're talking only three or four years. And around this time, you had bands like Rites of Spring and you had Embrace, not the British band, the the, uh, the band that was fronted by Ian MacKay after he had after uh, Minor Threat had broken up, and you also had a band like Dag Nasty, and also a band called Marginal Man. And the reason why I bring up Marginal Man is that there was a review that ran in Thrasher magazine that described Marginal Man's sound as emo core, and it's been debated about who was the one that came up with the word emo core. The finger has been pointed at Brian Baker, who played in Dag Nasty at the time and would go on to play and continues to play with Bad Religion. Um, when I interviewed Brian about it, he can't remember saying it, but he claims that Ian MacKay said that I came up with it. So it's just a word that was stuck around. And the whole thing about, you know, I thought all music was emotional. Yes, I get that, okay? There were artists in the 50s that had big hits with really sappy love songs, you know, Roy Orbison, Bobby Vinton, Bobby V. I mean, the list is very, very long. But in terms of the context of punk rock, where it, it was more than just like singing about how I hate you, it was very much a reflective thing. And also, and so that's, that's what it goes with lyrically. You know, if, if hardcore was about I hate you, punk rock, or excuse me, post-hardcore was about I hate myself. Okay. But there's a but there's a key distinction though in the music. 
The music is a little bit slower than hardcore. There's harmonies, there's backing vocals, there's oohs and ahs. It's like stuff that you can clap along to, not just mosh into each other. So that's where emo core in the modern sense began. And eventually it just became known as emo. And then it was post hardcore. And then it ramps up to what we, what the, what I, I take is the, the bulk of what this conversation is, what it meant in the 90s. Right. So that's, that's my history. Okay. So to sum up, it's not necessarily that it's emo in terms it's more emotional than all other music ever made. It's just about a reaction to a certain subset of punk in the 80s mm-hmm. coming out of that scene. Okay. Now I got that. Who else has got notes on that that wants to chime in or do we need to move on i think that was fantastic i i just would yeah. say i mean the the reason that it sort of came about too was that people were sick of the macho bullshit of hardcore um and there was this you know if it was the Cro-Mags or you know new york city or even the D- dc hardcore stuff it was sort of people were sort of over it and you know wanted to sing versus uh, scream or not have to deal with um, a lot of the things that were sort of happening um, at the time. So I think the that was another piece of it that this sort of, I don't want to do what this sort of, all these other tough guys are doing, um, which may be sort of where at the, t- the being emo sort of kind of came from. You're not being a tough guy, you're not being macho, you're actually being a little introspective. Which I think is part of it. Okay. So... Is there a difference between, so this comes out of hardcore, is there a difference between post-hardcore and emo or emo-core, or are they essentially the same thing? I don't know who, Eric, maybe you know this, emo-core I've never really understood, or there's so many different subgenres that I'd like to remove from the, the earth, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but I can't, uh, but I think post was in essence that other set after hardcore where I just, I mean, simply singing over hardcore riffs. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, quick. You know, there, there, there's a difference between quicksand and say Swizz or Dag Nasty or uh, Turning Point. You know that kind of stuff. Which was um, more maybe the indie angle. You know, mm-hmm. there was sort of a yeah. hardcore angle of post, because there's you know there's a lot of indie things with post as well. So yeah. I think there was sort of two talons off of that. Yeah, and I think by the time that Sunny Day Real Estate came around with their first record, these were all guys that played hardcore music. You know, um, I, I mean, like, for crying out loud, Nate Mendel played in a band called Product of Rape. Okay. <laughs> True story. True story. <sighs> um, yeah. So, I mean, so, they were all about, like, fast and, you know, non-PC kind of stuff. And uh, But they wanted to play, like, slower music. And they were influenced by Lungfish and, and you know, Afghan Wigs and Sub Pop and even early Nirvana. Um, these were all playing into... Uh, what Sunny Day Real Estate brought with what eventually became Diary, which is considered an emo landmark. At, but at the time, I don't think there was any other word that you could call it because it was not screaming about animal rights or uh, drinking or smoking. It was instead about like, hey, uh, I have feelings for this girl and I, I'm very, very vulnerable about it and I'm, I'm just very shy about it, but I'm just going to express myself in any way that I can. And so emo started being used for Sunny Day Real Estate, The Promise Ring, Hot Water Music, Get Up Kids. I mean, it, it really, really blossomed into what 
the modern day version of emo as far as what's cited as like landmark stuff other than rights of spring embrace stag nasty you know this is this is where people keep coming back to i mean it's like when they talk about the get up kids they talk about the promise ring they talk about uh, very uh, turning point records for them and really the 90s is where it began with what we're still dealing with in 2016 okay so i guess that's where i need to uh you know get us to which is obviously the 90s and um to me that one of the things i've always had i've struggled with is knowing where the line is between there's you know you have your emo your post hardcore then punk and post punk and pop punk start to get all sort of mixed together i know you guys were all sort of groaning when weezer's pinkerton got mm-hmm. you know brought up but then uh-huh. you know I, I went to my spotify and i put in uh, emo in the, in the search and brought up some playlists and oh, like Lord. a like a band like motion city soundtrack came up which when i checked is this emo it said yes this is emo but they sounded like blink 182 to me so is blink 182 an evil band cuz i just heard that they're the most punk band on spotify Ready? So, so I'm I'm confused. Tom, explain go, this Tom, to me. Go, ready? Unload. Ready for this? Actually, I have I have two two ones. One, the guy that came up with the Blink One Eighty Two is the punkest band. I'm interviewing him uh, for the podcast, um, and he's actually going to come over to my house. And he said, "Please don't hurt me," and I won't. But uh, he's an is <laughs> this insanely smart guy, Matt Daniel, who does Polygraph, and he was sort of talking about this, and I I. Bluntly said to him, so if you're saying that I ran, a, uh, let's say I got everyone in the world to add Nickelback to hip-hop playlists, would they be considered hip-hop? And he said yes. In ter- so the idea is that people actually have no clue what it is. And during the, the aughts, where the late 2000s, when this got super popular, uh, in the mid-2000s, everyone started adding all of those bands to those things so blink and weezer's pinkerton which just because you take out emo bands doesn't mean you're emo um all those all those things people were adding those to all those playlists and youtube playlists meaning that in that study that's going to show up as emo um and so i have actually hopefully going to spend an hour trying to dissect this and figure it out but i think for this audience and people asking sort of why is this and why isn't there's a ton of factors um you know, there was a scene. There was a there was a time when a hardcore band played with an emo band, played with an indie band, played with a guy playing acoustic opening. That still happens. But in the mid two thousands, there was these package tours where everything was the same kind of band or that same sort of aesthetic. And at the same time, it was super popular on TV, on radio, on pop radio. So not only, it wasn't just the kids that went to the record store when those still existed. Anyone uh, doesn't know, there were record stores and you could go in and buy things. Um, They don't have those anymore. So back then you had that. Those kids, it wasn't them. It was popular kids. It was a lot of the kids that maybe would go skin deep and maybe listen to the radio and play a single but not a whole album. That was happening at the same time. So you have all these popular kids getting into it, saying, I like these five or six bands, they're emo, and then that sort of, because it was popular, it just expanded. So people associate all these different things. And goth, too. Don't get me started on the United Kingdom. Uh, <laughs> it, it was out of control 
the the associations that were happening with goth. And then the really sad part is, I don't want to leave it on a sad note, but this whole notion of depression, suicide, cu cutting yourself, I do not, I, that has nothing to do with emo. So that whole stereotype sort of plays into this, that, um, you know, people were sort of being that way. So longest answer ever for a really short thing, but there, there <laughs> there's this very, uh, there's this, these, these connections to these bands and when it got really, really popular, it just, it got really diluted um, and sort of missed the point of what it was. And I don't know, I have a DIY ethic in my body. I, I you know, I have, I have trouble with the man. And I think that's, that, that's part of this sort of struggle that it, it, it wasn't something that was popular. It's okay, bands got big, but it wasn't this, you know, the bands I liked wasn't on MTV. And I think that changed a lot. That changed a lot of how people perceive the word. Okay, Jeff, and, what, uh, what's your take on the being a, a, a big punk fan? I mean, are you able to discern? Do you know, like, <clears throat> which is which, or is it confusing to you at all? Um, you know, that's a good question. Um, you know, sometimes, well, and there are definitely bands that I know and love that I don't have any problem categorizing um, in the emo uh, category and then there are other bands um, ironically Tom will love this that I've used um, his site to see just what the thought is um, and I'll use an example of a band that I, I hadn't really thought of in that vein before until um, you know typing it into the the website actually getting ready for this show and it was the band Sam I am um, you know one of my favorite bands I've always kind of considered them um, you know a punk band um, but then when you step back and think about it, they they don't play a traditional, you know, kind of punk rock type of, of music. And, and lyrically, um, you know, it is much more introspective and, uh, you know, kind of the, the emotions that are involved in that. So I, I do um, sometimes struggle with the, the blurring of the lines. And I'm sure we could as a group come up with, you know, five or eight bands and have a really good debate on whether they're like punk rock or whether they're emo or you know, whatever. But, um, it is something that I've, that I've struggled with, but I certainly understand everything that Eric and Tom has said as far as, you know, the delineations between, uh, the genres and, and, you know, having emo be, um, something that emanated out of hardcore and, and punk rock. It's, it's kind of natural that you'll have some of those, those blurred lines at times. What is it about Sam am musically that you think, is logically making them emo as opposed to punk. Well, um, for me, I mean, I guess it's just, um, they're more melodic. They're not as hard. Um, I guess would be, um, the way I would say that, um, you know, more of a, uh, you know, more harmonies and things that were spoken of earlier. And again, you know, just going back to the lyrics again, more, you know, kind of introspective and, and, and personal, um, Versus more of songs about, you know, politics or society or things like that. The reason I ask is because in in prepping, I was listening to some bands that I'm not as familiar with. Uh, you know, we mentioned the ones that we've re reviewed on the show and I've got familiarity with a bunch of other ones. But there was a few other ones that were still a little bit more obscure to me, like Mineral. I haven't listened to a lot of Mineral. And so I went and, you know, checked out their catalog. And I think one of the things that I realized that is a big difference is dynamics uh, between punk and emo 
or hardcore and emo is that there's a lot of emphasis placed on dynamics in emo music starts and stops uh changes in in tempo quick changes in tempo might be a driving verse and then all of a sudden they cut to a halftime chorus and there's seems like there's a little bit more musicality in emo music am i off on that does anybody want to argue with me on that no, I think I think you're spot on, Tim. And, and actually, um, when I think about you know being a, a you know kind of coming at this from a fan of punk rock, and that being what I listened to, um, you know, in the early and mid '90s, um, I remember it was that very um, you know the the effects of dynamics and and just the overall musicianship that really just knocked me in the face the very first time I listened to Sunny Day Real Estate and listened to Diary and and fell in love with that record and and. Um, you know, that was a large part of it. And then, of course, you know, Jeremy Enoch's voice is amazing and, and the lyrics were amazing, too. But um, that, that's definitely something that struck me as, um, uh, you know, refreshing at the time when I heard that record for the first time. And that <clears throat> that ties back to the post hardcore piece. Right. I mean, a little bit of like a technical, especially with rhythms, angular guitars. You know, there's there's a bit of a like math rock tie and mm-hmm. post hardcore tie to in there that, that makes all that. I guess where it came from, right? Oh, I also I also think too the you know the 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 way you described it, Tim was was actually really perfect. And the only thing I would add is that it's it, there's it feels as if there's this moment that it's going to all fall apart, but mm-hmm. doesn't. That's that that's like this eternal like you know you're 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 about to take this leap you're about to take this chance and that's how it feels when you're listening to it there's these moments of really euphoria and i've i've never yes there are sad songs and there are sad lyrics but i've never felt sad listening to it it's always been happy and so that's yeah. a thing that i've really tried to do over the last um, you know 9 years or whatever doing the site or however long it's been is just this is not about you know, this sort of depression, it's this really, it's happy, it's, it's open. Um, and I think there's a lot of misconceptions about that. And everyone can have their, their own, you know, people listening are probably like, well, I started listening in this year and I started this and I think this band. The thing that I found during this one era in the 90s, and I think it's permeating again 10 years later, uh, is that there isn't this sense of history and there isn't a sense of looking back. It's sort of, well, this is what I listen to. This is what I like. I'm going to move on. And I feel like as us music fans were a little bit older, you kind of looked back or what was before? What was Jeremy Enig into? What was, what was Nate Mendel's first band? And I, I don't find that happening enough with emo itself. And I think the, some of the newer bands now with the re- revival, they're doing that. But there was this one era that the fans were sort of like, well, this is it. This is what it is. And for some reason, the media took that. And that's what's now known. And yeah. I don't feel like that happened with punk. I feel like if you say punk to someone, they're going to say Blink. But they're also going to say the Ramones. And they're also going to say, you know, maybe uh, the Circle Jerks or something. Like, there's, there's these bands that sort of transcended time periods. If you go outside right now and find 10 people and ask them what emo is, I bet you they're going to say a band from the mid-2000s. They're not going to say Sunny Day Real Estate unless you find me. Um, or, um, yeah, I'll be sure to walk around and waiting for that. So that's the, that's the sort of difference that I feel that it, it's, it's been misconstrued because of that. Yeah. 
Uh, let, me, let me add just this little personal story, but it, it totally ties into what Tom was just saying, is that um, when I interviewed Ryan Pope from the Get Up Kids about 10 years ago, I asked him, what's it like, uh, he was co-owner of a, a studio, and I said, what's it like to see these young bands come in? Do you, do, does it remind you of how you were when you were 18, 19, you know, recording Four Minute Mile and in just over a weekend period? And he's like, a little bit, but there's this thing about them where they're in this music game to win it. Like they're talking about the manager that they have and how they're going to get on this big tour and how much publicity they're going to get and how many MySpace friends that they had. It was it was so foreign to him. I was all like, um, you know, we just wanted to do our band the best way that we could. We didn't want to try to become famous. And so um, I think a lot of those bands that recorded... <laughs> In, in at Red House, uh, probably don't remember them now, but we, we're still talking about the Get Up Kids. And what I like in seeing these young bands like uh, Tiny Moving Parts, Somos, uh, geez, the list is very, very long. But these bands, they know who Braid is, they know who Sunny Day Real Estate is, but the, they'll also say, like, oh, you know, Blink 182 got me into playing music, but. You know, then I got into Circle Takes the Square, or then I got into this, or I, I, you know, got into Rites of Spring. And so much of understanding the history, I think, can be directly tied with how easy it is to get music now. Now, yes, you can say, like, oh, you know, you know, you can see Steemore Stein say, oh, nobody buys records anymore. And I was like, well, get this, people are still listening to music. They might not buy it in mass like the way that they used to when we were growing up. But people are still listening to music, and it's great to talk to people like Evan Weiss, and he can talk about how much the Get Up Kids changed his life, uh, saves the day, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it, it's turning in a good direction now, but, you know, 10 years ago, if you were to talk to me or Tom, uh, we would probably get very, very defensive with you about how, like, ooh, emo, it's, it's really cool, yeah, I really like that My Chemical Romance, and I'd be like... I'm walking out the door here. <laughs> yeah, we need to talk about that. We need to talk about how it went from this, you know, Sunny Day Real Estate, Get Up Kids, Save the Day, sort of underground. You know, yeah. you had you had to be reading zines in the 90s mm -hmm. and you had to be going to shows, that kind of stuff, to find these bands. And then when MySpace explodes in the early 2000s, when... Um, these package tours start put, getting put together. You get all these bands, which people are saying, oh, that band is emo, this band is emo. And it's like everybody knows what emo is now. And how did that happen? And yeah, I mean, it, it's even how to did the that point where you nickname a character from the most recent Star Wars movie, Emo Kylo Ren. Look him up on Twitter. It's pretty funny. <laughs> I mean, but it, it it's stuff like that where... I think what had happened was is that you had had bands like The Promise Ring, who almost signed to a major label. You had the Get Up Kids that were seriously courted by major labels. Uh, Jimmy Eat World, their second and third records were on major labels, and then they got really huge off of a record that they made independently, and it was later picked up by a major label. So is that it the was, breaking point? Yeah, I would definitely, I would definitely pinpoint it to Jimmy Eat World's Bleed American. It'll always be Bleed American. You know, right. it was self-titled for a while because of post 9/11. I get it, but it's Bleed American. Bleed American became a really big hit. But here is the key distinction that I don't see a lot of people talk about. You listen to the middle; it sounds like a Rick Springfield song. 
it does not sound like Haynes Point by Rites of Spring. It's different. And I mean, and the thing was, is that it, it was it was young. And what does the record industry even now? Uh, they want young people to get excited about it. And it's great. You know, young people getting excited about music. That is cool because I think we all got into it when we were young. And that, I mean, it still means so much to us. But there was definitely the pop element. I mean, by the time that you had Promise Ring released, Why Did We Ever Meet? That sounded more like Simon and Garfunkel than Rites of Spring. I have to say, I'm a Simon and Garfunkel fan, have always been. But as far as like, you know, hey, is this isn't emo. This isn't Circus Lupus. This isn't Nation of Ulysses. I get it. But there was definitely a point where, hey, there's an opportunity to make this more popular. And somebody I have to give a lot of credit to that unfortunately passed away a few years ago is Craig Aronson. Craig Aronson was an A&R guy that signed Jimmy World to Capitol. He later signed at the drive-in to uh, what eventually became their uh, virgin. Um, and he also signed My Chemical Romance. This was a guy that was very much in charge of, I mean, he, he really helped things steer in this kind of direction. Um, but basically the pop element made it much more interesting uh, and much more appealing than just all these halftime, you know, uh, mathy kind of rhythms. Instead, you have like these very easy to sing along choruses. And I mean, like you listen to Nothing Feels Good, the album, and it, it's it's a straight up pop punk record, but with just a little bit more to it. And you can say like, well, that's the Husker Du influence or or that's uh, more of the R.E.M. influence. I mean, it, it, it was just more of a pop thing. Young bands saw that and they were like, I want that. I want to become famous. I don't want to work a job. I don't want to go to college. I just want to get into a band. And yeah, I'd like to be like Pete Wentz and become famous. And that in turn pissed off people like us, <laughs> meaning <laughs> who like were like, this isn't what it's all about. This is about speaking from your heart, not partially singing from your heart and just wanting to be popular and famous. You know what I mean? I was I was just gonna say too that I have an interesting time period. I call it I definitely call it pre pre bleed American post bleed American. And a funny thing is I was at a record label then, and it was my first job. And this is a true story. The A and R guy who I was friends with called me up and said, "I got a record for you." I said, "That's that's awesome. What do you got?" And he's like, "Oh, it's that Jimmy Eat World band you like." Do you know what that was? That was the demos that they sent to every label that no one responded to. And he gave me his copy. He said, you like this band. Here it is. It had their contact info on it. It had the, you know, all these like different uh, wordings of song titles. And I listened to it and I go, holy crap, this is going to be the biggest thing. And I remember telling the product manager, I was like, hey, this record's going to be amazing. And he's like, Tom, settle down. It's going to sell 60,000. You're going to go see him at Irving Plaza with 1,000 th of your buddies. And then, uh, you, you know, you're going to go on your merry way. Well, that obviously didn't happen. Uh, and I was soon being called into A&R meetings. Uh, the president wanted to know where the next band was. Like all th Those things were literally happening. And I was at these labels where there was a feeding frenzy, um, you know, where no one would stop by my desk. Now they were all asking what I was listening to or what show I was going to. Um, Tom and the tastemaker. Well, <laughs> no, I mean, it was just that. But I just, again, like certain people, you just got to be in the right spot um, or at least know what you're sort of, 
doing. And I think those sort of things happen. And I had the pleasure of meeting Craig Aronson uh, multiple times. And it was amazing to see his excitement about some of these bands. And if you uh, have the Static Prevails demo version of the CD, or sorry, not uh, the uh, promo version of Static Prevails, it has a letter from him, from, or to him from Jim uh, Atkins from the band. So it's like he was really connected to that and understood what was happening. But after that happened and after you know, Jimmy World sort of, you know, had all these sort of, I mean, I just pulled up the middle karaoke. Like, I just wanted to see if it was actually there, and it is. You can still, you know, you can watch like a karaoke version of that song. After that point, I think a lot of bands sort of were like, I want that. And there is a connection to the Promise Rings and the Jimmy World because of their history, but I think there's certain point of bands that we will never mention again because they were kind of eyeing that prize and you know, it just got really, really muddy. You know, I don't know if anyone had attended those warp tours for a few years, but you know, I, I you couldn't hear, you couldn't tell the difference. Um, yeah, yeah, that was an interesting time. Yeah, I mean, and and, and it was just the the way things, how they impacted people like you know, Tom. I'm I'm about to be 37, and Jeff. Uh, you know, we're we're all kind of in the roughly the same age. We remember what it was like to work at a radio station, a campus radio station, and get a record in that we loved that nobody else would want to talk about or even give it a time of day. But then when things start to get popular, suddenly these people have an interest in listening to it. In my case, it was at the drive-in. I saw at the drive-in and Jimmy Eat World play in Denton at Rubber Gloves at one of the best shows I have ever seen. And at the drive-in destroyed me and they destroyed the entire audience. They were incredible. And Jimmy Eat World uh, had just released Clarity, and they were fantastic. And they were still playing stuff that was on, like, splits and one-off seven inches. So they were playing, like, What I Would Say to You Now and Christmas Card and, and uh, Speed Reading and all that. Um, and, and the thing was is that this meant so much to me. And so to see people that I didn't identify with, especially people that were very flaky about their music, it was just more like they would go with what was popular so they could fit in. And suddenly it's like, oh, at the drive-in, oh, they're going to be the next Nirvana. Oh, I, I love Relationship with Command. I'm like, yeah, would you have ever given In Casino out a chance? No, because you were more interested in what was going on with Radiohead and Radiohead's associated acts, you know, bands that wanted to be the next Radiohead. So, yeah, there was this bitterness in it because, like, this music has always been there for me when it seemed like there was there seemed to be nobody else. I mean, I still remember driving around in my 77 Pontiac Catalina in Kingwood, suburban Houston, and listening to LP2 by Sunny Day Real Estate. And I didn't feel so alone. And so suddenly I'm having to share all these things about, ooh, emo, yeah, yeah. And, and it, it's alienating. And now I totally got what people were talking about in the 90s about pop punk becoming too popular. You know, the maximum rock and roll attitude was that if we didn't think your release is punk enough, we're not going to review it. So that's where Punk Planet comes along. And really, they gave all sorts of great bands a platform to talk about, whether you were emo, post-hardcore, or you were a spoken word artist. There was just there was much more fragmentation. But for me, also, this is also a critical thing to for me to share, is that you know, to be into hardcore in the mid to late 90s, it was very much about what you wore and where you stood about politics and straight edge and not drinking or, or not smoking and not fucking around. For me, I just wanted to express my feelings. I was having a tough time trying to connect with 
girls trying to keep friends and emo really was the soundtrack to that and even though and and i would say my life is much more better now that i know how to connect with people but emo there's something about the melodies that i still really connect with i mean right before i uh called you guys i i've been listening to jets to brazil jawbox uh the promise ring i mean all stuff that i was listening to in college but it still resonates with me you brought up the uh, sort of the Radiohead era of the late 90s. I remember yeah. there was a, just tons of ba- – that sort of like once um, once the Benz came out and they sort of obviously had some hits there and then by the time OK Computer comes out, it seemed like that um, – all the labels were looking for bands that sounded like mm-hmm. them. And then there was like the third the third version of grunge, like in terms yeah. of like commercial rock radio at the time. Yeah. So I remember <clears> – <throat> finding some of these bands slowly around that time the late 90s and then when uh napster launched is when i started to really find a lot of these bands in like 99 2000 yeah i had no idea what emo like i had never heard that term before right when i heard the bands i was really captivated by the melodies and the energy like it just was so refreshing like it was not like where Radiohead had taken everything and it was not, mm-hmm. I didn't find it mopey at all. Like I found right. it like high energy and about like just, you know, expressing yourself. And I actually, I kind of connected to it in a way of like, I could hear, I could hear the Rick Springfield, like sort of like eighties, uh, rock, like in the, in the vocal, like melodies and the harmonies, I mean, it was hidden for some bands and, and it was less obvious, but there was definitely something there that was not, it was not grunge and it was not like that's, you know, those types of vocals. It wasn't the Eddie Vedder thing. It wasn't the Lane Staley thing. It wasn't the, you know, it was going back to like power pop or hard rock or some other, you know, melodic punk or something that was really refreshing for me at the time. So when it, it slowly evolved, I eventually became aware of the term emo i can't remember what band maybe the get up kids in reference to them i had heard it and i was like what What the hell does that mean <laughs> um <laughs> and i was like okay whatever and then i remember um as it evolved i think by the time uh that jimmy world record you guys are talking about was huge to me it just felt like oh they figured out how to refine this like they just mm-hmm. keep refining and refining and refining and refining it until it kind of goes back to yeah it's just a straight up like commercial hard rock sound i mean there's there's some elements still there but there was like this refinement process that happened um to 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 make it go super commercial and then it sort Mm -hmm. of twisted and turned from that point but Mm -hmm. yeah i was completely unaware of the term i don't were you the same thing to him because i know some of these bands we found at the around the same time yeah i uh i had no like knowledge in the in the in the mid-90s when a lot of this stuff was bubbling up and I think it was along the same lines with you. I think it was probably actually from us playing with bands that. Yeah. We played with uh hot rod circuit once. Yeah. We played really? hot rod circuit. Yeah. Like 99. And we were like, the fuck is this? This is incredible. <laughs> right. But yeah. I mean, they were just like, in, like the energy was like, unlike anything we had ever seen. And like, Technically, they were doing all this cool shit, and the guitar players were great, and they were jumping around like maniacs. And it was like, it was the first time I'd ever seen that in person. It was like, oh, this is completely different. I mean, it it affected us to the point where, like, what are we doing? Like, 
Like we're we're completely off. <laughs> like we're going in the wrong direction. Like this band is. And then it's sort you know I came to know that there was a bunch of other bands like that, but it, it, it sideswiped me. I know that the backstory on that is we played up in Cleveland with Branston, Hot Rod Circuit, Ultimate Fake Book, and us. We were the opening band. And then we got along really well with Ultimate Fake Book, and they were playing Columbus like the next night. And they were like, "Why don't you guys open with us and Ult- and us and Hot Rod Circuit?" So we ended up opening the Columbus show as well. Um, oh, man, this so, is awesome. So it was back to back. Yeah, it was that was unusual. I mean, we didn't play, and then there were a couple like House of Heroes was a local band that was on that um, uh, sort of circuit of playing a lot of like. Uh, underage shows and a lot of like teen shows and stuff like that. And there were some other random bands that we would, we'd play with. Well, we would go out to like Louisville or Indianapolis and be like, Oh, this is, this is that sound that we keep hearing, but we didn't have a name for it. But yeah, Hot Rod Circuit was the first time where I probably went and like went to Alta Vista or ask Jeeves and like, what is this Hot Rod Circuit? <laughs> Dear Jeeves, what's Hot Rod Circuit sound? Well, I had been listening to, like, Knapsack for a while at that point, and I'm like, oh, I like this band, whatever, whatever, and then I'm, I heard somebody refer to them as emo, and I was like, they are? Oh, all right. Yeah, <laughs> like, um, I'm tr- trying to put it together. I'm like, uh, I guess I can kind of hear it. I don't know. I just thought they were, like, yeah. an indie rock band. I, okay. But you, me, you know what's funny you about all of this is that every single band I have ever interviewed, <laughs> I, I literally have talked to, interviewed, no one wanted the word attached to them no one enjoyed it everyone cringes when i ask about it everyone i mean matt Pryor even started his an interview with what's up with the name of your podcast you know <laughs> it like you know and just i mean even i had kenny from uh, the starting line and his same thing was like uh what's i was kind of scared i had to listen to a few episodes like no one it's either they hate it they, they don't want anyone anything to do with it except for bands <laughs> that were like trying to get huge you know and being yeah. like yeah we're fucking emo black yeah, yeah. brides yeah dude they're fucking emo like come on like that was the it, that's that's the thing i find hilarious like davey from the promise string he will run from you if you bring up that word he will hang mm-hmm. up on you yeah yeah let, let me let me share this story about like you know the, the people that were like oh pff, emo pff. but then they changed their tune on it when I was a freshman in college, I had heard the word emo be used on uh, an email mailing list. You know, Tom, Jeff, y'all remember those days, you know, yeah. but <laughs> really before social media, how we connected with people that were into very niche things was mailing lists. And I think it was the MXPX or Blink-182 mailing list, but emo kept being used around. So I just asked a couple of pop punk friends of mine, Remy and Jared, and I was like, "What? what's emo? And both of them responded with huge groans. Like, oh, God, the songs are so slow. They're jazzy. Kids cry at the shows. Oh, God, it's awful. And so I said, well, I've heard this band Jimmy Eat World be referred to emo. It's like, oh, yeah, they're definitely emo. I took a listen to Jimmy Eat World's version of New Religion, and it reminded me of the Smashing Pumpkins uh, mellow material, which I loved, you know, like Soma, uh, Mayonnaise. Uh, that and, and uh, there's so many uh, beautiful songs on melancholy and the infinite sadness that you could technically call emo, but nobody calls them emo. But um, a year later, I ran into one of those guys, and uh, he was just talking about you know what kind of music are you into, and one of those guys that hated emo a year ago loved the Get Up Kids, 
And that to me represented a, a turning point about like the Get Up Kids have like this punk intensity to them, but also this hard on the sleeve sort of thing that say people that didn't like the jazzy disjointed drumming and like the real quiet stuff and then the real loud stuff and the real quiet stuff. And then, you know, lots of Meh! on the vocals and all that. This uh, Get Up Kids were just full on. And that was a turning point. And uh, I don't want to spend too much time about Dashboard Confessional because they were after the 90s, but definitely the popularity of Dashboard Confessional uh, was, I would say, because of the fact that new metal became so popular in the late 90s that for, to, for all these like teenagers and college students to see a guy that, you know, he's fully tatted up, slick back hair, but he's singing about very personal things, it... It, tr it carried more weight to people that had been listening to Corn and Limp Biscuit, System of a Down, Edema. I could, Simon Says. I mean, I, there, are, there are just a lot of bands that I could talk about. But there was just a slow building up in the late 90s of emo becoming popular. And I think it was kind of bound to happen. I mean, but um, I, I'd have to say, like, Clarity is still one of the greatest albums I have ever heard. Uh, nothing feels good. The diary, all these records still really resonate with me. Whereas, if you were to ask me, "Hey, what do you think of that cartel record that they made in a bubble, sponsored by Dr. Pepper?" I'd be like, "I don't care about that." You know, it's it 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 was more of from a marketing angle to be popular. That's what I associate with that time. But now, the way things are with the emo revival, there have been many classic records that I think I'm I'm quite sure I will still be listening to in ten. 20 years from now i'm glad you brought up uh go ahead what were you going to say i was just going to say really quick i mean an interesting one that has sort of if you we're, we're talking about the revival and sort of i mean american football which that self-titled is sort of or is it self-titled i can't remember whatever the, yeah, the, one, the, the one record it's you know revered among a lot of the new school and mm -hmm. I sometimes joke that, you know, every email I get, you know, if it's if it's uh, sounds like, you know, the Midwest emo, I sort of like put it in a pile and listen to it later because there's so many. But I think what's interesting is that band played 12 shows uh -huh. and to no one. And now they are still touring. They are playing the world. That record sort of transcended, you know, from when it came out, no one cared and sort of uh, it's now had another life. Uh, you know, sort of the Bohemian Rhapsody of emo. Um, yeah. You know, it came out, it was kind of popular. They were a pretty big group because of the, the people in the band, and then it went away and then came back. Um, and I think that's a really rad part of this is that the true stuff that I think is um, relevant and uh, is worth listening to if someone's listening to this and being like, where do I go? That's, that, that's, that's a band and that's an era or a in a, a area excuse me not era area of you know the country that was putting out a ton of great music isn't that typical though don't most genres of music and and, and rock history aren't there artists that have received absolutely no acclaim or interest when they were originally out most famously like the velvet underground people always say you know 10 people bought whatever at the time it was released but the, all those 10 people went out and formed bands and then those mm -hmm. bands became famous like yeah. there's always bands, Iggy and the Stooges, Big Star, that yeah. just don't make any sort of impact when they're but out. The but the interesting thing of this one is that the kids that were, it, like the younger people that were into this, they skipped over an era. Usually you kind of look back and sort of emulate. They sort of jumped over this sort of messiness 
And American football was big. When I got that record at college, like I was I was stoked. Like this was a huge this this was Mike Kinsella. You know, I this was this was a big deal. This had ex-members of this, this, and that. It was a you know big deal. I don't think it was sort of unknown. But the interesting I just think is that the the there was a resurgence and understanding of where it came from and, and it and it and it wasn't forgotten um from a group of people that could have just went back one one little iota and said oh it's just we're going to just sound like this even more but they went back further and that's what i loved about it that's what i think is great about the revival today is that they're looking at it from across not only blink but american football or you know they could be talking about embrace but for the most part they're not and that's okay because that's old let me let me just share this with you guys like one of the most interesting things about publishing a book about this topic is the people that will contact me and want to talk about the history of it. Okay, I've been talking to a guy for the last couple of years who lives in Indonesia and he's writing his thesis on rights of spring. <laughs> How cool is that? That's awesome. Or uh you know um like, There's a band that reached out to me. Sorry to interrupt. It's similar from China, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm releasing their interview very soon. But they're called Chinese Football. Yes, <laughs> I am yes. dead serious. <laughs> they're called Chinese Football. They 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 were translating my questions and like sending them back, and it's like completely broken. But it's I mean I don't know, I don't know Chinese, so they're a lot smarter than me. Um, or uh, so they uh, they're this band, and they literally sound like American football and like everything from the nineties. And so like there, there's these pockets of the world that like Russia is huge for this uh, as well. And so it's, you know, it's, it's almost like, uh, I don't know, this is a horrible example, but like Walmart, you know, like we kind of show up and like, all right, well, here's this thing. We're going to drop down this store and everyone's going to know what Walmart is. I don't know who went over there and put the spike down and said American football record. Thanks internet. But that, that kind of thing is happening all over still. And I just think that's amazing. But yeah, I will. Uh, hopefully, the next couple of weeks, I'll be releasing that interview. But Chinese football, yeah. everybody. Yeah. And well, isn't there a, uh, a band in Japan that does like straight up covers of Texas is the yes. reason? You know, Kyle they do Ryan. Everything. Kyle Ryan was posting about it a couple of months ago on Twitter, and I was like, this is incredible. And they yeah, did they, like straight up promise ring covers. But not even that. They do indie rock. They do punk. They do hardcore. Like it, it, it was almost like I, I would hire them as a karaoke band, um, yeah. you know, for the '90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, let me let me ask you guys a question. This is a, this one where we can go around the room and yeah. get everybody's uh, everybody's opinion. I have a neighbor. I, she's a 16 year old girl. She's learning to play guitar. She comes over. She says, "Tim, I can't play this riff. Can you show me how to play this riff?" I say, "Fine, I'll show you how to play this riff. Give me that guitar," and, oh, I, no. and I show her how to play, you know, "Smoke on the Water" or whatever. Oh, okay. And. Um, She's, she asked me about music and stuff, and I'll say, oh, well, this is Radiohead, and I'll play some Radiohead or something. Or this is Juliana Hatfield. And um, if I have to give her one record, if she says, Tim, what's emo? And I have to give her one record and say, start here. This is where you want to start with emo. What should I give her? I'm going to start with you, Eric. What is the record I should start with? I would say Sunny Day Real Estate's Diary. Okay. Any particular reason? Guitar-wise, what they, what Dan Horner and Jeremy Enoch were doing, very, very influential throughout the rest of the '90s and throughout the 2000s, even to this day. Okay. Um, and but there's also a heaviness to it, you know. There, I I don't know how many songs are in Drop D or 
or, or what, but um, that's a good starting point. There are many, many other starting points, but that's the one off the top of my head, I would say. So uh, Diary, the debut album by Sunny Day Real Estate that Sub Pop released. Okay. Jeff, where would you start? Well, Eric stole my answer, but I have a backup ready. Um, I, I would actually um, couple that with Clarity uh, by Jimmy Eat World. And um, uh, just because of, uh, I mean, I think that would be actually if you wanted to, obviously you're talking about giving them one CD, so mm-hmm. I get it. But if you were to give them two, uh, I actually think Clarity would be a nice contrast to Diary um, and to show a little bit more of the poppy side um, of the of the genre. Um, and obviously it's just an amazing record, so that would be the other reason. Tom? Uh, for a 16-year-old, yeah, I would say Jimmy Eat World with Clarity would help, but I also would uh, hand them the promise ring, nothing feels good. Um, it's a little, it's pop, but also it's enough uh, grittiness, it's enough rough that it can help to sort of explain what was prior um, and there's enough hooks in there um, for uh, anything. So, yeah, I would give them the promise rings. Nothing feels good. All right. All good choices. I'll be How- more than happy to. <laughs> I already gave her Pinkerton, so it's already over with. Her. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's just Are you serious? Did no, you I do did not do that. No, oh, my God. I was about to hang up. No. Here's my thing about Pinkerton. <laughs> That's the record I still remember as the record that when it came out, Weezer fans hated but then they're like, oh, this isn't so bad. And then it's turned into it's an emo classic. I'm like, what kind? There was a, there was a time that I considered cha- not calling my book Post. I considered it calling it Twist the Past Punkerton. and Reward the Arrogance. You know, it's a Jawbox line. But it's like, it's so, it makes sense. It's like, well, it means one thing then, but oh, but it means something different. So whatever it meant back then, it doesn't matter. And like, that's what drove me to spend four years of my life working on a book that I'm still proud of. Now, um, almost every band that I wrote about that said that they would never get back together has gotten back together, so I think I should write an afterword about it. But, <laughs> but I mean, like, that's the kind of drive. I mean, and, and, and the thing is, is that I think also, you know, all right, let's just get this out of the way. Yes, it sounds like self-promotion. But the, the concern that I had was that I worked at an oldies radio station at the time. And it was amazing to me about how they took like very troubled times, you know, where all sorts of things are going on in the 50s, 60s and 70s. And they just sold it back to baby boomers and people younger as, oh, those were really good times. And they they erased the they didn't want to talk about the context. And for me, like the book that I wanted to write was like, let's talk about the context of where things were. And going back with with what Tom was saying earlier is like, you know, people didn't want to go back. They just wanted to be like, well, I want to be famous like Fallout Boy. And I'm like, so like that's what drove me. I mean, it still pisses me off, even though, you know, the book's out and I'm happy with it and. You know, I've I've written for Punk Planet, written for the Dallas Observer and the Fort Worth Weekly, but there's still that drive of wanting to document things. You know, that's what Ian Mackay, what he was talking about and why he helped co-found Discord Records was about documenting something instead of just trying to make something to become famous. And I think with the imprint that it had on emo bands in the 90s, for lack of a better word, was like they just wanted to document this. They 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 had like this this gift of the music that they were playing and say like they wanted to make that their full-time job and so they made music that still resonates i mean like i mean you drop the needle on nothing feels good or just kick just click play on nothing feels good and i am i love it 
and I still love the memories that I have of seeing uh, the Promise Ring with Jets to Brazil, Sarge and the Gloria record, and just them blowing my mind. I mean, and it's not just a matter of, oh, you're young and you're uh, impressionistic. It's like, no, I see a band like Tiny Moving Parts now, and I feel that same feeling, same with Modern Baseball or Into It Over It. You know, the good times are back again, and I'm, and I'm happy to see this come to fruition. That's a good segue point into my last question of the evening, which is, what is the current state of emo? Is the state of the emo union good? Is it prosperous, as a, as a president might say, or, or is it a troubled uh, state of emo? Uh, and whoever wants to chime in. Tom, one. I think you should go with this because you're you have the finger on the pulse of it. <laughs> I have a finger on anger. No, I think <laughs> the, the it is a fantastic time um, for music and for independent music. Still to this day, uh, when I talk to bands or reach out to them and they see the name, um, you know, they sort of run away a little bit. There's this apprehension. Uh, there is a there is a very famous artist from the old days, from the '90s, that will never do the podcast because of the name so it is deep and i think they're bands today rivers cuomo uh (laughs) i think i was only going to talk about pinkerton on that episode (laughs) that's why that's why he said no um but the uh the the interesting thing is i think there's an amazing independent scene and when i first heard about top shelf records or count your lucky stars or run for cover i remember reaching out to them and just saying you remind me of when i got into music thank you. I now am into more bands. I am now excited about what's happening because I feel like I've said this a lot about if you don't know where the basement show is, you don't know what's going on. So I think that's what's exciting about right now is that it's even harder because everyone has a band camp. I get sent 10 emails a day, um, you know, for bands about band camps from all over the world. It's amazing, but it's hard to keep up. So get local you know, finding out those bands that are in your neck of the woods and that, that, that VFW hall or that space that has shows on Thursday nights, whatever that is, those things are still happening and that's exciting in this internet age where everything's faster and um, everything's quick. Um, so for me, I'm super excited about what's next and there's these amazing bands that are going on, but no one will want to touch the word forever and ever. Um, so it's just going to be this constant plug and pull of... of I, you know, I want to be associated with it because I'm popular, but as soon as it's not, I'm back to, no, I'm a rock band. I'm an indie rock band. Uh, so the word will be forever scorned, um, and I'll probably have that on my epitaph. But uh, other than that, everything's yeah. fine. You know, you know, and that's the other I've, thing. Everything's yeah. fucking fine. Excuse me for the language. But the, yeah. this whole notion of, like, you know, depression and all that stuff, I have to say again, that has nothing to do with music. The clothes you wear, the, the, the way that you... Uh, perceive yourself or the emo Kylo Ren I was infuriated that really that is that is what what is just because his his dad like I don't even remember the movie and I watched it once I forgot but like whatever happened in Star Wars uh you know that whole thing about him being bummed out what does that have to do with the music genre what what does that have to do with music absolutely nothing that is the My Chemical Romance fallout boy all that sort of hair in the face, I'm really depressed, you know, my mom doesn't let me, you know, play N64, all that stuff, that, <laughs> that, that shit is what that said again, and every, what happened when every single person picked that up, because I have Google alerts for all this, what was it? It was, you know, emo Kylo Ren, and then they mentioned the same bands we've been talking about for an hour and a half, all those things happen again, 
it's like this permeated cycle. So when it's popular, We're, yes, they want to do it, but when not, they, they run away. Can you tell make? that I talk about this a lot? <laughs> <laughs> or, or I have no one to talk about this with. I'm hoping that at the emo <laughs> DJ night, you go off on a rant like this, like everybody's dancing and stuff, and you're like, fuck emo, Kylo Ren. Are you guys ready for this? I love the emo nights now. We didn't even talk about that, which I won't. I'll try to be as nice as possible. There's this whole thing about there's microphones now at DJ nights. That's not the music again. That's you. That's that's your like. What what do you have to? What what can? How can I follow Jeremy Enoch? There's no way. You know you got to play. You know Fugazi next or whatever it is. Like so. There's this whole like, you know, um, this whole thing about like having a microphone and 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 about you and and you being on stage. That is farthest from the truth. It should be about the music. It should be about everyone's discovery and finding what they like. Now, someone could come up and say, you know what? I love Coheed and Cambria from this era. You know, the post-12-sided die stuff. Like, the, you know, fine. You can have that context. But just be open enough to understand that there was something before and there was something after. And I think sometimes that doesn't happen at DJ nights or when people are sort of talking about this genre. And I just hope to God one day when the dictionary comes out and they put that in there, that it's, they have both. They have the new, the middle, and the, you know, the pre. And uh, I hope that that happens. I'll, but I don't, know if, I, don't, I don't know if it will because <laughs> it's been a long time and it hasn't changed. Yeah. I mean, what, with what I've seen is that, I mean, there was a house venue in Denton. Denton's a town about 30 miles north of where I live. And they've brought in, I got to see Tiny Moving Parts, Modern Baseball, You Blew It, uh, Football, etc., all play the in a garage. I, I even saw Appleseed Cast play there, and there are people that were into it. And of course, there are also people that are there just to hang out, and the music doesn't really mean anything to them. But the great thing is, is that like less than a year later, I saw Modern Baseball play uh, a, a room that can hold a few hundred people, and it was sold out. And now they're playing. Now modern baseball plays Trees. Okay, Trees is one of the biggest bars in Deep Ellum, and I, I I've just seen bands like this get very popular on a very organic way. And and they're still putting out great stuff. I mean, you have bands like Tidal Fight, Somos, uh, bands that I still like the the personalized way of recommendation. You know, Tom, I gotta, I gotta give you a lot of credit because it's like whenever you praise a band like Somos or Gates, I'll take a listen to them because you're not praising a band every single day. I mean, when you get very excited about a band every few months, I'll be like, I gotta check this out. And uh, I, I, there has yet to be a band that I've listened to that I thought sucked. I mean, it, I like that kind of form of recommendation. And uh, and I should also mention this is that. It, I think this this time has already even passed, but there was a time just maybe about five years ago, there were a lot of bands that wanted to sound exactly like Captain Jazz. Algernon Caldwaller is one of them, uh, but these were bands like really turned people's heads. And uh, so it, it, it's still going on really well. I mean, but the, the cool thing about talking to uh, 15 year olds, 16 year olds that are going to shows is that they have a, such an open-minded view about music. They're not just into emo. They also really like hip-hop. They like hard rock. But, you know, when you see them play their, their, with their emo bands, they'll cite American football. They, they very much get it. As in, like, okay, this is about expressing yourself. 
We're not trying to become famous by doing this. You know what another band that everyone should check out? And if you want to see a real-life 90s band, like or, or pretend that the 90s still existed, uh, is the Appleseed cast. Um, yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a band that you know people they're putting out consistently amazing music, and mm -hmm. it's almost as if they sort of are Encino Man every time they come out. Um, they're like, well, this is what we do. This is what we play. This is what we did back in the Stone Ages. It's yeah. still you know, it, but it sounds current and it sounds clean and open. Uh, and so I think you know, a Appleseed Cast would be a fantastic band to check out. Yeah, Jeff, what about you? Yeah, um, you know, thinking about the state of, of emo as it is today, um, something that gets me really excited is that every year um, I go down, uh, well, it's not that far from me, but um, I go down to Gainesville, Florida um, for a music festival called The Fest. And um, it, that's basically a music festival. It's been kind of dubbed that it's a music festival for people who hate music festivals, um, which is pretty accurate. It's... Um, you know, they take over downtown Gainesville and um, it's all it's mostly indoor venues um, and it's mostly, you know, un underground, lesser known bands. And what's really cool is to see bands, um, some of which have, like Eric and Tom have mentioned, like Somos, like Modern Baseball, like the Hotel Year, you know, like these bands and see that they will play a large venue and a lot of people will go to see them. And so um, it's it's really um, exciting for, for bands like that who, um, you know, may not play the most, you know, popular music in the world, um, get that kind of a following uh, and to see that grow and spread throughout the years. Um, yeah, it's, it's very exciting. I think this is actually, um, as Tom said, a really great time for independent music as a whole. Um, but this revival that has been uh, talked about quite a bit uh, in, in recent uh, time uh, is accurate. And there are a lot of, of young, talented bands um, putting out great records as a result. I think that's a great point. And I think that is a great point to end on because we've gone over the hour mark, the self-imposed hour mark for this uh, particular episode. And, um, of course, this is just the jumping-off point. I'm sure there are a lot of bands that people wanted us to talk about or, you know, why didn't you talk about this band? We can't talk about all the bands. It's just not possible. But uh, you can go to uh, our Facebook page and Twitter and website and spur on more of a discussion. Um, I need to thank all of our guests here tonight. This is a very lively and... Um, uh, entertaining episode guys so uh tom washed up emo podcast is this band emo uh we can find you on the twitter at washed up emo and at is this band emo and you're gonna have a interview coming up with chinese football uh yes uh not uh audio wise but text-based no, text because uh, that, that that would be insane if i had like a translator that would oh be, that would be awesome actually, that's a really good idea thanks you should just do it. Isn't there like an app, a Google app for that, for translating? Don't they have something like that? I don't know if that would work real time. I'm, I live close to the UN, so maybe I could go over there and find somebody to help. That I think that's a good idea. I think if you just appeared at the UN, they would just be like, <laughs> come on in. Have you seen the security over there? It's unreal. <laughs> <laughs> it would be pretty great to use a trans like the uh use siri or whatever so you have two robot voices talking back and forth to each other yeah that'd be like stephen hawking like it'd be stephen hawking 
like trying to explain like like something really smart and then him just being like American football, you know, or something like that. Like, that'd be <laughs> fucking awesome. I, so, I'm so sorry if you have younger listeners. I apologize. I live in New oh, York and no. you swear all day. Okay, just checking. No, they're all old men like us. Yeah. <laughs> Our demo is between the ages of 35 and 35 and a half. Fantastic. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Doesn't that knee hurt a little bit more than it used to? Woo. <laughs> Why do you why do you think our sponsors are all uh, pain medications and <laughs> dick pills? <laughs> Don't uh, need the last one. Yeah, uh, Jeff Takis, thank you for joining us. Rocketfuelpodcast dot com and on the Twitter at rocket underscore fuel. I wish I had his name for a podcast. Then that person that I can't name would do the podcast. So I'm envious of you. Well, Tom, just rename your podcast there for a ska song, and it'll be all good. <laughs> I hate ska. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not going to join us for a ska roundtable? That's what you're saying? No, there's a guy that comes to our DJ night, and he always requests ska songs. Like, he'll load up one of the request sheets with, like, everything. Oh, and geez. it'll be, you know, <laughs> Mephiscopheles and Mustard plug and all this garbage and i'd so far, I, I i now it's like a joke now where i just like i try to find more ridiculous ways to not play it so it's, it's sort of a joke now you just light it on fire in front of him just like take your lighter <laughs> out and just burn it while he's handing it to you i like two bands that are associated with that suicide machines and less than jake right on. that's it <laughs> all right i'm and, sorry i'm sorry <laughs> sorry about that but you but you made fun and of after taking a giant dump on ska <laughs> Let's wrap up with Mr. Eric Grubbs. Do You Know Who You Are podcast, uh, themeparkexperience.blogspot.com. And you can go to that website to find uh, not just post, but the uh, other writings of Eric for the, as aforementioned, uh, Dallas Observer and uh, other locales. And you can find him on the Twitter at Eric underscore Grubbs with two Bs. And uh, I think that's it. Yeah. Gents, this was a lot of fun. Thanks yeah, for coming on absolutely. on a Sunday evening. And um, You guys are fantastic listeners. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, you know, we're happy to uh, oblige and, and, and sit back and let the people who have, you know, experience and knowledge and, and passion for the subject. Uh, I actually yeah. learned a lot, too. So I okay. definitely did, and I know that this is going to be a, uh, this could go up on like Sesame Street if it wasn't up for all your f bombs, and we could teach the kids on Sesame Street on HBO now about emo, yeah. but uh, that's not going to happen. Tim and Jay can't <laughs> play it for Tom. the kids. No, thanks. Tom. I used to do a great Elmo impersonation, but <laughs> I guess not anymore. Uh, for uh, if you uh, want, or no, I already said that. If uh, like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, leave us some positive feedback. That's it. We're out. We'll be next. We'll be back next week with an interview. It's a good one on the next episode of Big Me Out. Thanks for listening. You can support the podcast by becoming a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com backslash dig me out or requesting a review for the 2016 season at our request a review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. 